0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the of the Nova Files. Uh, I'm here again today with Ian from Triple Tech Promix. Triple.
1: Hey, Peter. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. And yourself, buddy?
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. Can't complain.
0: Yeah. Right, so how's your, your week been?
1: My week has been pretty good. Um, it's, it's just been uh, crazy, you know, just doing the other projects, but also... Uh, for those of you who have not know, do not know this, I actually have my own um, YouTube channel, which is called Triple Threat Comics YouTube Channel. Self-explanatory right there.
0: Nice. Yeah, you, you told me it's been going pretty well. I've been getting some good views and subscribers, man. I checked out some of the videos. They're really interesting. You talked about the um, how you got started with your main series.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it was crazy. It just... Um, just trying to develop that uh, series, codename Hunter, during college and then bringing it to format during graduate. It was uh it was mind-blowing because I never did a series like that before.
0: Awesome. And yeah, you also had, I think, uh, what was his name? Eric, right? Uh, your co-creator for that series.
1: That's right. He's actually the co-founder of Truman and he's the creator of our other series, Solar Racer.
0: Nice, yeah, I remember I saw some of the, the Soul Racer on them in your Instagram, like, I really like the style you got in that book going, it's really cool. Yeah. Oh, awesome, well, I'm really glad to hear you're making good progress on that channel because as indie creators, we all know how important it is to get our names out there.
1: Absolutely, because we want to make sure that people like our stuff, and it's also, uh, it's also appreciated to have other indie creators support each other, so that's always a plus.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I keep saying, man, we need to have the Shonen Jump of indie comics at some point.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: But then again, like, getting all those people together and all those egos is like it's a recipe for disaster as well.
1: Oh. We can't be notorious to have uh, egos.
0: (laughs) Basically. all right. so this week's topic. um, We're going full sci-fi this week, and we're going to be talking the Orville. Mm. so for those of you who don't know the orville is the uh brainchild of seth MacFarlane, who basically said hey i'd love to do a new season of star trek star trek said no so then seth MacFarlane said well screw you i'm gonna make my own star trek with blackjack and hookers
1: <laughs> actually it's star trek next generation that he's done
0: yeah And, you know, for the longest time, the Orville was the best Trek on TV. Yeah,
1: I will say this. Uh, uh, We can't say this now because there have been a a few good shows in the Star Trek universe.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, But the difference is with this particular series, how do I say this? Let's start by talking off with the first two seasons. So, this the first two seasons were on Fox and uh, they were basically portrayed as the funny parody Star Trek show. And that's how it was sold. And you know, there was a lot of comedy in it, a lot of, uh, hu- not, a lot of similar humor. And I really enjoyed the humor. I, but the, the truth of the matter is, it felt like a modern day Next Generation.
1: It did, because it, it what's interesting that you mentioned that is some of the writers from Next Generation. I've actually written uh, episodes on the orbital. Mm-hmm. It has that yeah. type of feel.
0: Yeah. And you've even had a few Star Trek alum- uh, alumni appear as like cameos or guest characters. Uh, Robert Picardo, the doc- the EMH doctor from Voyager, played the role of one of the character's fathers and had an entire episode in the show.
1: Yeah. I also think, um, I think Will Riker, the actor who plays Will Riker, I think Jonathan uh, Frakes, I think is his name. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. He actually directed a few episodes of the Orville, I think.
0: It doesn't surprise me because the the Orville, while it was in the 40-minute story structure, felt a lot like a TNG episode where you had your A plots and your B plots giving all the characters something to do. Yeah. Sometimes they would uh, mesh together. Sometimes they would not. Essentially, what's going on with this series is that it's a... Um, how do I put this? It was TNG in format in spirit and in love because you know i saw the episodes felt like they could have been right out of tng with their uh with their concepts and some of them were right out of star trek too there was that one episode where they discover a planet and the planet comes in and out of phase with our reality and every time it goes away it's like oh my god uh, a bajillion years past like i i'm not going to think of the actual number here but like And that's kind of a mix of a DS9 episode and a Voyager episode. Yeah. And I love how they actually brought that back around in the new season, which we'll get to. Yeah. And, you know, before I I, I hog all the spotlight here, what were your overall thoughts with the first two seasons before we talk about the third one?
1: Well, as we all know, the first season of any series is pretty much the experiment. Just to see what works and what doesn't work. I think. You know, the first few episodes, they were definitely trying to find that balance, but by the time we got to midway of the first season, they found the balance between the humor and the serious. Yeah. And because they were able to tackle some very tough storylines in that first season, but still I find the humor in that. And that extended into season two. But with season two, you know, they went bigger, you know, especially with a lot of the plot elements and also just introducing a new enemy which you didn't see coming
0: oh yeah yeah it's like oh you think it's gonna be all this this fun little uh alien race but nope they're gonna be our new big bads
1: yeah that that's what i liked about the the second season more most is because the twists
0: because they had Mm -hmm. a
1: lot of bad twists than season one did
0: yeah and the other thing i like about this series is there's no um no transporters
1: Yes, uh, I'm sorry for all the trickers out there that, you know, we're hoping for transports. No, sorry, uh, you don't have. Even though the, the some of them wear red uniforms, you don't have a transporters malfunction. Sorry, doesn't happen.
0: And I am actually thankful for that because I think like the transported was just such a huge crutch. Okay, yeah. all right. Because like, I you, know, you can just explain so many things away. It can make things. Convenient and all that, whereas you know now you have to actually take into account shuttles, docking, etc.
1: Yeah, that, that's another thing about uh, the the original Star Trek series and even Next Generation. There are a few episodes where they actually do take the shuttle, and, um, and something goes horribly wrong. And I actually like that aspect because you get to see our crew members vulnerable. Mm-hmm. That's something that Orville does very well. You see the crew members at their most vulnerable.
0: Which I very much like, you know. It's like, and the cast of characters is very interesting. You know, you have Seth MacFarlane playing the captain, you know, the wise cracking guy in charge, but he's still a pretty by the book officer. You can see they're all very serious in what they're doing. They're seasoned, uh, they're seasoned officers. And uh, one of the other very interesting relationships that's on the show that I like is that his, uh, his helmsman is actually his best friend outside of uh, the crew. Yeah. So it's like. He can say, like, you know, in front of the crew, I have to put on this face. I have to tell them everything's going to be okay, that we know what we're doing. You're the only person on this ship I can talk to.
1: Yeah, I always like that aspect because, you know, he can be real with him, you know, with Malloy, but he can't. He can also be real with Kelly as well, but it's not quite the same thing.
0: Yeah, because his first officer is also his wife.
1: Yeah. Awkward.
0: Yeah, but let's get into the story behind that. Um, in reality, yep. <laughs> she cheated on him because high possibility she was uh, under alien pheromones, as we find out later. But no one's a hundred percent sure, and you know that kind of ruined his life. You know, it affected his mental state. It affected his work because the whole concept of, like, oh, you're too into your work and you're not paying attention to me. So she pulled some strings and she got him a captain's seat. So the reason why he got the job, let's be honest, is because his ex-wife felt terrible about what she did to him and pulled strings to help him get the position. He doesn't know that at first, but...
1: Yeah, when he does find out, it's more than a bit awkward.
0: Yeah, and she uh, stays his first officer, even though it's very awkward because at the end of the day, professionally, they just work very well together.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, and you know, as the series progresses, you actually find them putting aside. Like season one and two is full of ex-wife jokes.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But you get to season three, and you start seeing like you know they're they're friends again. They're they're uh, they're a good unit.
1: Yeah, I know. There's always that will they or won't they thing. I think with season three, it really doesn't matter. Oh, definitely. I, that's thrown out the window. So. Whatever happens, happens.
0: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, recently... um, So what happened with the Orville? We got two seasons on Fox. Then Fox dropped it, and Hulu picked it up, and now it's on streaming. Yeah. And uh, let's just say without Fox uh, telling Seth MacFarlane what he can and cannot do, Seth just said, like, I am bringing in all the blackjack. And he is no longer... You can tell. You can tell at the beginning of season season three, his hands are no longer tied. He is able to finally tell the story he wants in the way he wants.
1: Yeah. You, you could definitely tell in the storylines, uh, because a lot of them are way bolder than what they were doing on Fox.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh well, let's, let, before we do that, let's compare the first two seasons of Orville to what we were getting Star Trek-wise at the time. All right. So, Star Trek-wise, in those years before the pandemic, before the last century that has ruined our lives. <laughs> because, honest, it felt like a goddamn century. Yep. What were we getting? We were getting Star Trek Discovery, right? Have you watched Discovery?
1: How did I watch Discovery? Well, you go to episode 1, then you go through the rest of the series. Okay. Now, it was interesting hearing the seeing the Star, the Star Trek story told from the first officer's perspective, which is something that this, no Star Trek series has ever done before. But after a while, you're like, "Well, could you see her? could you see her come become a captain? Can we see that? Because I know we're gearing towards that." And we finally get there, but it's like uh, I think it's like it was like two seasons away, and that was like the end of season three of Discovery.
0: And from what I remember, Discovery made some pretty big uh, took some pretty big liberties with some of the lore and like just the Klingon's design in general.
1: Yeah, I I know that a lot of people were not happy with the Klingon design in particular in Season 1. It definitely got better in Season 2, but yeah, they did took take some liberties with that. They quite me- you know, mesh, uh, I'm sorry, not mesh it, uh, they quite connected with the original series. Let's just leave it at that.
0: Yeah, like because for a while there, it just kind of felt like It was its own thing rather than being a part of the bigger Star Trek universe because it just feels so disconnected from everything else. And you see when they try to connect it, it just has this awkward feeling. Like the thing that really, uh, that basically defines New Trek, in my opinion, is the aesthetics. Like, And you compare that from Orville to New Trek is that Orville is clearly inspired by the aesthetic of Like next generation, where you know the bridge is lively, it's well lit, it's colorful, it feels like a place where you know you and me are going to sit and work. Yeah, whereas the bridges on all these new Trek shows feel like they're constant war zones.
1: Yeah, I will say that there is actually a difference between the bridge on Discovery and compared to the bridge on you know Strange New Worlds because that's a Actually, very well lit up. And that's very colorful. that's obviously what we know for the original series.
0: Yeah. But also, we're talking about like Trek when Orville was coming in, like the yeah. aesthetics yeah. we were seeing at that time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And the other Trek show that was uh floating around at the time, which I actually really like, was Lower Decks.
1: <laughs>
0: now. Lower Decks is the Star Trek parody show. Absolutely. But, you know, the first few episodes of Lower Decks, hit or miss, but you can tell it's written by Star Trek fans.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And the thing is, like, and because it's animation, like, it to a similar animation style to Rick and Morty, they can get away with a little bit more. They can play around with a few things. Like... Uh, well, I think one of my favorite jokes is this was a joke and serious at the same time. It's like, do you have a flash a flash forward to like the future where the kids are learning about something one of the ensigns did on the Orville on the uh, sorry on the Cerritos, uh, the ship on lower decks? And like, and our next lesson, Miles O'Brien, one of the most important people in Starfleet. <laughs> Now the joke about that is in like TNG, Mars was just like the, the, the transporter officer. He was just in that one room the whole time.
1: Yeah.
0: But like, then you look into his stuff on DS9, he was a pivotal member of, the, of Cisco's crew during the Dominion War. And then you also learn he went back to teach on Earth. Yeah. So it's like, hey, yeah, we're, we're making fun of him because of TNG, but also he really is super important. And I'm like, I very much enjoyed uh, the humor. Like, it wasn't for everybody, obviously. Some people loved it, some people hated it. But uh, Lord X was a fun show. But it is what it was. It was a fun uh, kind of jokey Star Trek show written by Star Trek fans.
1: Yeah.
0: But also something that feels like could fit in the lore because, you know, not everybody in those worlds are the paragons they make themselves out to be.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: No because the, the first episode is called Second Contact. So it's like, what happens after the Enterprise leaves and somebody else has to come and pick up the, the pieces?
1: Um, yeah, the thing about the Lower Decks is that, yeah, it is written by uh, fans pretty much, and it does make fun of the lore a bit, especially with the motion pictures, it, because if you remember, that episode, um, where they were making fun of some of the camera shots from Wrath of Khan when they're shooting the Cerritos. Oh
0: my! god that, that that entire episode was a joke on how the movies were made. Like the blowing up of the ship, like the this the the stakes, the villains. It was just it was good
1: it was nice to make fun of those movie those classic movie moments you know but it was also you know it makes you think back saying just also how great the films were
2: Mm -hmm.
1: i thought it was a nice uh, touch to actually have that little signature at the end of the end of the simulation
0: oh definitely it was like it's a love letter to star trek and also a joke uh, joking on it at the same time it's like it's star trek when it doesn't take itself too seriously
1: absolutely
0: yeah and also when they ended up just bringing in the pack leads as the main villains <laughs> oh and we also finally got to see riker captaining the titan
1: that was such a cool moment especially when you had the the tng theme song in the background yeah it's like okay this is totally star trek right here
0: yeah it became a running meme riker coming into the last episode to save the day
1: well, it was also good that uh, you actually got the original actors from TNG to play those parts, but they were making fun of themselves, which was cool.
0: Yeah. The good thing about this series is that it can revisit any part of TNG because it's animated. And let's be honest, most of the actors are still alive. Yeah. So if we ever wanted to, uh, I don't know, go to DS9 and catch up to see, to see like what happened with Cisco, we can do an episode on that um we uh wanted to take do an episode in the delta quadrant because some you know space shenanigans happens we can do that uh tom paris was in an episode as a cameo and it's like oh yeah he was apparently ever since voyager like the entire voyager crew are all celebrities and he was just going around telling stories signing autographs and you know that's like a good example of trek but like it definitely took itself as a comedy. It's far less serious compared to The Orville. Yeah. All right. So why don't we start talking about the uh, the third season of The Orville?
1: Yeah. Um, the first episode really starts with major repercussions reper- uh, from uh, the betrayal of uh, Isaac, you know, the android.
0: Yeah. So uh, long story short, uh, season three is following up after um, the uh, Kalon, which are basically the Geths, like the Geths mixed with Cylons,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, saying like, yeah, all organics are dangerous. They're going to try to kill us at some point. So we're going to need to kill all of them ahead of time, begin the massacre. So Isaac um, was originally their scout. He realized this was wrong turned against them and he's still serving on uh, the union ship but you know he has to deal with the fact that a lot of people don't even want to be around him because they blame him for and his people for what happened because you know what you know humans are humans they they want to take everything down to a black and white and just like uh, the Kalons are all evil and i think the first episode like is what like i start to notice this series uh was very comedic for a good chunk of time it felt like uh it had the basic story structure of tng the 40 minute runtime the a and b plots uh the levity but then season three starts happening and the entire atmosphere kind of changes yeah and you know i said this like okay the first episode is going to be heavy but then they're all heavy. Every episode in season three has like a very heavy subject matter. It's less about discovering a world, it's, it's story building, which is good. I like it, but I personally kind of miss the comedy. I,
1: I do. I feel I do too because I feel they have lost that balance. Yeah. It so well with uh, seasons one and season two was the humor and you know the serious serious storylines. They had balance. Now everything's a bit out of whack. I yeah.
2: Feel-
1: the recent episode, we got some of that humor back, which I'll talk, which we'll talk about in a minute.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like, so let's summarize. So this is gonna be heavy spoilers. You know, if you're uh, if you're avoiding spoilers on the, the the Orville, don't don't watch, don't listen to the rest of this because we're going into uh, uh, knee deep yeah. in spoilers. So Just episode so. one is all about uh, Isaac killing him, realizing that the crew is acting far less efficiently with him around. He can't go back home, so the only logical thing for him to do is to kill himself because he is a robot with no emotions. And that... That's some pretty deep subject matter for an episode.
1: It is. It is. It's it's completely... The minute I saw that, I was like, wow, we're really going here.
0: Yeah. And, like, the the topics in these episodes just progressively keeps getting darker. what was the second episode about again? I'm just uh, dragging a blank right now. Uh, this
1: was when the crew was actually trying to go under, uh, undergo the diplomatic negotiations with the Krill.
0: Oh, right. That's the one that went to hell, basically, or the demons, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. And then I think uh, the medical officer, Claire, is reunited with her ex-husband.
0: Yeah, which is a very, like, you know, pretty uh, TNG thing, which is fine. But then, like, the entire episode becomes an invasion of the body snatchers.
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: Then it also uh, brings to mind to a question: You're going into a strange place and you're not wearing hazmat suits. The fuck? Yeah.
1: Ho- yeah. Or at least scan the facility see what what bio uh, you know hazards are going around in the in the atmosphere or just anywhere.
0: Yeah. Wow, this is a derelict space station. Hmm, it seems to be working fully well. Hmm, it seems to have uh, nobody around no real life signs. Okay, everybody, take off your hazmat suits or don't bother to bring them at all. Somebody gets sprayed with space jizz, quite literally, and then he becomes an alien. Yeah. And then he is also able to transmit this space jizz onto all the other organisms on the ship and slowly start converting them into uh, insect-like monsters. Yeah, now,
1: it, it kind of harkens back to um, a TNG episode where, you know, most of the crew members are de-evolving. Like
0: right. I also remember something similar like that on Stargate, like where everyone was going for caveman. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: But the fact of the matter is, like it was like one-off episodes. But this one, just because of what they could do and how dark they could be, it just felt so heavy. And like the the body horror was there, which is nothing new to Star Trek. Yeah. But because they also can do now hour fifteen long episodes, there's also periods of time where things can kind of just drag out. Like I feel like having the forty four minute runtime it kind of, like, says, like, we got to cut off all the fats.
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of segments that you can tell, hmm, this is, like, this is fatty. Like, cool, like, you have uh, Claire and the chief medical officer uh, sharing a drink with each other, but, like, then you're also filming the the segments of them walking into the room, sitting down. It's, like, I get why you film those, and normally in a... uh, everyday scenario you'd probably be like oh cool yeah this is what's going to happen naturally but in like a tv show it's like you got to cut stuff for time
1: yeah you do yeah
0: oh
1: okay so that was that
2: episode um
1: episode three was also very interesting
2: Yeah, what was the uh, three about?
1: Uh, it was pretty much, um, I think it was pretty much where they get uh, the character Tala, I believe, is returned from shore leave and apparently she gets this strange signal.
0: Oh, right. So remember earlier when we talked about that, um, thats alien species that comes in and out of reality and they move super fast? Well, now we see them again, and they have basically ascended.
2: Yep, pretty much.
0: Yeah, they're ascended, they're immortal, and they're bored. They're <laughs> basically three steps away from becoming the cube.
1: Yes, and that's a very accurate description of them.
0: Yeah, because the, the fact of the matter is the their technology has evolved so far. It's basically magic and yeah. They're, since they're all immortal, they just don't have a concept of what death is anymore. So what they're doing is they're putting the entire the the, the landing party through different near death scenarios to basically experience what death is like. They don't kill any of them and like you say hey hey you know, it's nice talking to you again it was nice seeing you guys again. But it has this like wow these people literally just put us through near death experiences because they want to know what death is like.
1: Again, this also harkens back to the original series and the next generation because there weren't beings that did experiments on the landing crew. Mm -hmm. Especially this, this definitely harkens back to the original series because if you remember season three, Kirk Spike and McCoy were pretty much lab rats, if you will. Yeah.
0: And then you have the next episode, which was what if uh, uh, the worst case scenario happened with the the Trump presidency? Yes, that that one hit a little too close to
1: home. It did hit a little too close to home. And it was also interesting, you know, Ed, Ed, you know, in this particular episode, because he finds out that he has a daughter with the cruel woman that he thought was human. Mm -hmm. So there's that consequence. And of course, this leads to, you know, and he talks of the Krill piece uh, is dead.
0: Yeah, because uh, whether it was a fair election or a rigged election, we don't know. But there was an election. They basically killed off the progressive movement, and a very much Krill Great Again person took over and completely is like, you yeah, know, we're going to completely isolate ourselves from everybody. We can take care of the Kalon by ourselves. We don't need anyone's help. I'm just waiting for the episode later in the season where they get wrecked by the Kalon. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and then it's going to be forced to, you know, get, get his daughter back. Mm-hmm. Because that was a hell of a thing to, you know, keep secret, you know. And even, she should have told him, because he did have a right to know. But of course, she's pro-Krill, uh, edge. she's not going to do that. Yeah. But the fact that he got to see him, even just for the shortest amount of time, was just, you know, just heartbreaking. And also, seeing Kelly's reaction to this. Because it just is, it's like a twist on a knife where she was like, this is, this is what I could, this, I could have had this.
0: Yeah. And then we got the Mocklin episode, which was also very heavy in uh, story content.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the thing. I actually had a feeling that they were going to actually uh, deal with this sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Because it was not going to go away. It was going to come back.
0: Yeah. Granted, I did a little bit of research about it, and people have been taking it from interpretations from both sides of the political spectrum. People are saying, like, this validates their views. This validates against their views. It's a very, because it's, let's be honest, it's aliens, it's all metaphors, it's all allegories. Nothing is direct. So people take the message they want, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure what they were going for was more of a liberal message, but people are not, some people are not taking it that way.
1: No, no. Um, the, obviously, everyone has the different views about this particular subject, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Hmm. You know? And I just thought it was a very brave thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it was completely heartbreaking that, that last scene, you know, where um. Boris's husband pretty much says, I wish you were never born. I was like, why would you wish that in somebody? Just because they're different.
0: Yeah, it's because it's discrimination, it's uh, political views drilled in, it's radicalization. And you know, you see that in everyday people now. It's just like, you know, it's I, it's scary. It's it's scary to see people turning into this, acting like this. It's not the best of times.
1: No, it really isn't. I hope it gets better. I really do. Yeah. But what was even better was Boris she loved her the love his daughter no matter what.
0: hmm And I love him understanding her and fully accepting her, all came because the crew showed him Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer.
1: Yes. Which was pretty much, you know, the best thing to do. And
0: yeah. you know, I love the idea like and they tried everything to convince them like why this was wrong or why they should be done in this way and nothing works and like you know what let's just chill uh we have this old earth movie we can watch and it was no intention it was rudolph the red nose of the reindeer and it's like i have had an epiphany
2: yeah
0: yeah and the concept of like we can address this fast fast i think like i don't feel like it's my place to talk too much about this because it's you know uh but one thing I really enjoyed, it's like, yeah, he connected with Rudolph because Rudolph was born with something everybody else saw as a deformity, something everyone else thought was wrong and should be hidden. Yeah. And then when the time came, that very thing that made him different is what everybody needed to light their darkest hour.
2: Exactly.
0: And it's like, what am I doing to my daughter if I'm taking that possibility away from her? And I was like, wow, that's actually a very powerful way to interpret Red, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer.
1: Yeah, I didn't think of it before, so I have to give kudos to the writers for that.
0: Yeah, that's like the kind of thing you come up in a writer who's yeah. stoned as hell and just like watching Rudolph for fun. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the episode after that one from this season, I think it's my favorite one after that. Yeah. The uh, the time travel episode. Oh boy.
1: Well we didn't well time travel is always um messy as uh Ed had said in the episode um, yeah
0: yeah okay let's put let's let's address this first okay time travel as a story narrative thing annoys me
1: <laughs> I believe you said this in one of the uh, previous episodes yes, uh it can be annoying
0: yeah. Because the problem with time travel is that there's no rules or no set rules that people follow and uh, go by. And once you introduce time travel into your story, you're just, bra- you're just waiting to break the world. Yep. Yeah. Now, we can discuss the different kinds of time travel. We have seen time travel in every season of The Orville. In fact, it was in the first episode. So long story short, a device was created that could accelerate the time of an object in its field. And eventually that would lead to the discovery of full-on time travel. There was in fact also a future time traveler who traveled back in time to the Orville who had planned to steal the ship and sell it off as a vintage model for a huge profit. Yeah. Uh, season three, as he, the end of season two, also had uh, Kelly um who is the um um uh, the, the lieutenant the number one the the ship's uh oh my god what am I, the, the vice
1: cap yeah we would think so yeah
0: Mike, why am i not remember this the there's a
2: word for it <laughs> the, the, the first
0: officer there we go Yes,
1: yeah, the first officer he got it folks he, he eventually got it he got it
0: yeah i got it uh and it was before her and Ed's divorce, actually it was like right after their first date and she got sent forward into the time stream. Yeah. Now the result of this was that nothing in the present day had changed because the rules of time travel here is that they're in flux and that until she goes back, nothing is really gonna happen. But then you also have to wonder, it's like, what's the effect of having two Kelly Graysons in this timeline. Like, are they just going to both serve on the same? What's going on? Like, and then she's still into Ed, you know? And she's like, you know, why not? And then the episode goes, they have their morals. It's a very interesting story. And then she's sent back in time and they're like, well, we're hoping that she forgets everything because we gave her something to make her forget. But she doesn't because she says no to their date when he calls her back. And then that leads to, like, a really cool next episode where we're now seeing, uh, because a few episodes before this, we had the Kalon invading, yeah. and they were stopped. But now we're seeing present day where the Kalon have basically mostly wow. taken over the entire sector, killed almost everybody. Everybody's on the run, uh, putting up a resistance, et cetera. And that's because the Orville didn't have Ed Mercer as its captain at the time. Because Ed Mercer was put in that situation. He was the right man for the job. He was like this, uh, He was basically the commander shepherd we needed. Absolutely. Yeah. But because he wasn't, because him and Kelly didn't get married, didn't get divorced, and he didn't get the captain seat, things went to hell. So then the idea was like, well, we know why this happened. So we got to send someone back in time to make sure the process that we put Kelly through actually goes through. We have to make her forget. Yeah. So they send uh from this timeline they send the doctor back whom fully makes her forget and now we have an older version of that doctor somewhere in the world. And it kind of establishes some rule of time travel whereas like there seems to be a fixed timeline rather than branching multiverses. But then we got the latest episode and like, I'm, I have questions.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> why,
0: don't, why don't you take us through this episode?
1: Okay, like uh, Peter had said, there was a device to Lamar, you know, the upgrades. You know, the Orville is eventually attacked by a, a Kalon. Gordon actually leaves and tries to destroy this device, but in doing so, he accidentally is transported back to 2015, which some of you, uh, Back to the Future, people may actually recognize that date. Now, our crew actually attempts to follow him past, but they actually arrive 10 years later because they had discovered just before they even went to the past that he lived an entire lifetime on Earth where he had a wife and a family. Mm -hmm. So, of course, as many people know, you time travel fanatics out there, this is the worst case scenario because you can lead to possible branches in the the timeline or or create paradoxes or what have you. So they go back in time, but they arrive 10 years later
0: which is why he ended up like he was already there for 10 years and he couldn't do it anymore. He was living in a cabin in the woods and he comes from a a group of humans who no longer hunt, who no longer kill for fun or for sport or for sustenance. And it just messed him up. So it's like, screw it. I've been here 10 years. I've been living in solitude. I can't live like this. And he went out into the world and built a life for himself.
1: Of course, Ed and Kelly are were completely against us. You violated the rules.
0: Yeah, because they just showed up and like they don't know what they have been through, and they're like, we're we're forcing you to come along with us. It's like, okay, if I'm going, I'm taking my family with me. It's like, no, we can't do that either. Then like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna kill us? So like, what they said like, no, we're gonna go back in time and save you. We're gonna go back ten years, and save you when you wanted to be saved. And like, but what's gonna happen to me? my family, my unborn child, and it's like, it's an incredibly difficult decision, and you see like this, because if this was a Star Trek show, this would have been the episode they wrote off Malloy, and like, this would have been like, his, I th- honestly thought they were writing the character off the show, I, I was like, for a moment there, because this, if this were a Star Trek show, they would never have done that, they would have left them back in the past, because that's happened quite a few times. Yeah.
1: Including in Star Trek, um, most recently Star Trek Picard. Mm-hmm. For a second. Exactly. Yeah, we had the a captain, you know, a, a part of Picard's pit crew. He decides to stay in the past, you know, because he feels that he belongs there. Of course, Picard tries to persuade him not to do that, you know, because of the timeline. But he's like, I never, f- I never fit, on uh, you know, bridge of the Star- Trek on a story ship. I don't fit anywhere. Here, I fit. I'm home.
0: Yeah. But, and then like, you know, they go back in time, they rescue him at the right moment. And it's left up in the air whether that changed the other timeline or not, or if that timeline still exists. Because sure. there, is a very, there, there is one thing they say, oh, they went back in time two months before he even sent the message that he needed rescuing and they established in the same episode like yeah i'm gonna send the sandwich back in time uh, 30 seconds oh it just showed up and now we have two sandwiches so why didn't we keep both sandwiches like well if i don't send the present day sandwich back in time that amount of time it'll create a paradox they just basically created a paradox by going to a point in time where Malloy still hasn't sent the message.
1: Yeah, so I think at some point they may actually have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And I feel it because, for what I've understood, especially the last episode of the season, the title is called "Future Unknown."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we could very well be dealing with the consequences of their actions for that.
0: Oh, definitely. Because the thing is, the way they got back to present day, it makes sense sci-fi wise, but it just opens up so many doors for dumb shit now. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Basically, it's like oh, the whole traveling light speed of uh, light—you slow down and everything around you moves faster. So they just basically do like a back and forth, and they go back into the future. It's like, yeah, but like that's incredibly dangerous. Even if you hit the smallest thing, you're going to be fucked up. Like. Had at any point they said like, yeah, but because we have knowledge from the future, we can plot a course where we know we won't have any collisions like this. The only way that this would ever work is if you already have knowledge and star charts from the future. If they just put a line in like that, it's like, yeah, scientifically, you could do it, but it's so dangerous. Basically, anyone would die unless they had future knowledge.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think like a line like that would have made that better because it's more I just find that dumb because now at any point like well we need to get away from them it's like well this is going to take like well why don't we just jump 50 years into the future but then we have no way back that's fine yeah yeah and the most recent episode um was also it, it felt like a little bit more of the comedy aspect of season one
1: yeah for a very specific reason
0: yeah but toned down
1: yeah I uh, I will say that.
0: Yeah. I still feel that these episodes would have been better if they were still aiming for the forty-four minute mark.
1: Yeah, because we still get a lot of the filler, you know, because they're trying to fill out all this hour. But I do agree with you because we knew what worked in that forty-five minute gap area.
0: Yeah,
1: it had a balance here. so
0: much yeah like i don't mind putting in like an extra 10 15 minutes if like if it's worth it like come on we all love the visual eye candy of the ships the battles it's great it's fun stuff yeah but like how do i put this then you have like some dragging out segments you have segments where like I actually really love the whole thing. It's like, oh, this race of all women, they're in charge. They treat their men like shit. And uh, okay, go onto the ship and get our bags and bring them to our quarters. And the joke is these women have a shit ton of bags because yeah. alien, or, alien or not, the women always pack large. <laughs> and they have Malloy and Mercer like, picking up all the, the luggage. Like, okay, no, you go here and like, they're just having a difficult time with it. They uh, had like Bordis, like who comes from a race of male males who treats females like they shouldn't exist. Like, looking at this race, like I do any race act like this. They're all just looking at him, and it's like, really, Do <laughs> you not see the parallels? Ugh. You know, it actually reminded me of an episode of uh, Deep Space Nine um or they had like these refugees from the um the the gamma quadrant who came in and you had all the women who were in charge because the men were very um aggressive and not very intelligent yeah like that actually made more sense because you know the men were not in that culture in that society the men were far more more animalistic compared to the women And that's why the women took charge because they were smart and all that. And in their culture, we didn't really get to see much of that. We just like, oh, well, men used to have wars and war killed. And so then we took charge. I'm like, I'd be interested to see how that happened.
1: Yeah, maybe they'll explore that at some point, you know, just to just see what that might look like. Yeah, um, I I don't I doubt it's going to happen anytime soon.
0: Oh, no, definitely not. But it would have been an interesting concept. Yeah. But, and then we also got some, the other thing. But I'm telling you, man, this was setting up all my sci-fi flags and I was surprised with how it ended. So the the thing that happens in this episode- Bring this up. Yeah, is they find a Kalon that has been reprogrammed to activate emotion. So now this Kalon has emotions. no longer a 100% uh, logical being. And after evaluating everything that happened, he realized they were wrong. And he feels actually bad about everything that happened. And he wants to help his fellow Kalon have their emotional awakening so they can better comprehend the universe. And like, he goes to Isaac, and he tells them what he thinks. And then Isaac says, I see we came to a similar conclusion. And the thing is, like, I am just incredibly surprised how you uh, a uh, 100% logical being was able to come to this conclusion while us who are older and more intelligent weren't. But once I got emotions, I was able to. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of basically pointing out that Isaac, even though he's not, never gonna admit it, does have the semblance of some emotions.
1: It, it's like with, uh, it, it really reminds me a lot, especially the storyline of data. Um, mm-hmm. Especially seeing how data is involved Isaac is clearly
0: evolving still. And the other thing that really caught me off guard is what didn't happen. I thought the Kalon, by the end of the episode, was going to die, was going to be tricking them, was going to be lying. But no, he isn't. It's like, well, unfortunately, because I'm an older model Kalon, the upgrade is compatible with me, but not with you. And then this Kalon goes about his day with his human friend and they're going to go to the union and share all of his findings. I'm like, wait, that happened? This is going to be an ongoing thing? That's not a one-off?
1: Yeah, that was completely shot. That was completely shot because I didn't expect that to happen either. I thought it was just going to be a ploy to get inside the union, you know?
0: It could be maybe down the road. Who knows? Yeah. But it could also be like how they solve the Kalon problem by giving them emotion.
1: Yeah, again, those are arguments back to, the, again, data because remember he got that emotion chip. Yeah. And he was able to feel it for the first time. So it's kind of interesting if we actually go down that road to see how much that, the, the Kalons actually have changed because they now have emotions to see what have we done.
0: But it could also come to the fact that where they just doubled down on their hate.
1: There's another interesting point. So you got, you got you know a little bit of the Yang, but also the a little bit of the Yang. So you're not quite sure what's gonna happen.
0: And it's gonna be an interesting concept. And I've said this before, but the Kalon are basically the guests. They were a subservient a, a machine race that was created to be servants. And they were things, they weren't people. But then, because of how they were programmed, they started to gain sentience. So what happened when the people realized this, they said, "Like, well, we're not going to allow that. In the, case of the, in the case of the guests, they started trying to destroy them. In the case of the Kalon, they created devices that tortured them into subserviency to the point where they rebelled. They were a full-on race, treated as slaves and abused as such to the point where they could no longer tolerate it and killed their creators. And I'm like, that, that's fascinating. That is very interesting. And it gives you some nuance to the Caelan as to why they are the way they are. And it even has one of the characters who was clearly racist towards Isaac for what happened and for good reason, but once she understood that this was a slave race who has no emotions and they're acting out. Like you can see where they're coming from. You don't agree with your end result, but it messed them up. Yeah. And I'm really curious to see where that's going to go. I'm really loving the new season. I will say I do miss the comedy more so. And I'm curious to see where they're going to take things because. They're building up a lot of different things. They set up enemies with the demons. They set up what's going to be happening with the Krill and the Kalon. Maybe some time travel. Who knows?
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, when we get to those situations, they'll pay off, you know. But I would like one episode where it's just light, you know. Yeah, we need just comedy
0: for an episode.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, and we also have the subplot between. um, the chief engineer and the uh, super strong girl. Oh, yeah. So uh, the idea is that <laughs> oh, they're super uh, into each other, very into each other. But every time they try to have sex, he gets horribly injured because she is basically a heavy worlder. She comes from a, a planet with a very heavy gravity. So when she's on um, in our gravity, she is ridiculously strong.
1: Yeah, uh, and it's... It, it's messed up. Let's just uh, let's just leave it that yeah. it's messed up. And unfortunately, because of her strength, you know the relationship deteriorates. But they clearly do care about each other that way. But
0: yeah,
1: you just had to get over the uh, the cuts, the bruises, the black eyes, yeah. the um, the other parts.
0: <clears throat> yeah, but uh, the last time we saw them, it, it was clear where he was putting his head. And that damage, um, yeah. It, it is the literal, literal version of Death by Snoo-Snoo. Oh
1: boy.
0: All right, but uh, overall for anyone who hasn't seen The Orville, I highly recommend checking it out. It is great sci-fi, it's a lot of fun. Um, I believe it's all available on Hulu or you could always sell the high seas, find it where you need to find it. And I really hope it gets another season because this is good sci-fi. I feel like this is what Trek should have been. Uh, And I I just want more. I I love waiting for this every Thursday. Absolutely. So with that, I think we're going to call it quits here. So, just the uh, the basic plugs. We're gonna say, make sure to check out our comics on uh, both uh, Instagram, Sierra uh, Nova Comics. They've launched their new platform that has all kinds of indie books for you to consume and enjoy from a variety of creators. So go down there, read some comics, uh, sign up, and you will not be disappointed with all the unique and great stories that are all available there. And those include uh,
2: Ian's books, as
0: well as mine. <laughs> That's right. All right. And about you Ian, wanna plug anything before you uh, finish up for today? Yes,
1: uh, definitely check out uh, my series current Hunter uh, on seronovacomics.com. And also if you like to uh, check out my YouTube channel, it's the triple comics youtube channel pretty much self-explanatory and join me pretty much every saturday night at 8 p.m eastern time
0: all right well let me know when you're when you can have me on that show
1: absolutely absolutely
0: all right so thank you everyone for listening help you have a great day great weekend great week depending on when you're listening to this and have a good one bye folks.